Let us be attentive. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Wisdom. The reading is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Let us be attentive. Brethren, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh, but he who is united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun immorality. Every other sin which a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belongs to God. Peace be with you, the reader. Arise, let us hear the Holy Gospel. Peace be with you all. The reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Let us be attentive. parable. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, A great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, 
His father saw him and had compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let's eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Lo, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine it is, is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Peace be with you. Proclaim the gospel. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of my fondest memories when my kids were young is the house that we had in, in Phoenix had the master bedroom on the same level as the three bedrooms for the kids. And oftentimes at night, we'd put them to sleep, and they'd go to bed fairly early. We'd stay up and then we would go to bed. But in the middle of the night, all of a sudden you would hear some rustling. And then all of a sudden you'd hear this little pitter-patter of feet come running across the hallway into our room. And then you'd hear this soft voice. Mom? Dad? Yes, Andrew. Yes, Maria. Stephen. Whichever one it was. What's wrong? I had a bad dream. Okay. Can I come up in bed with you? And one time it was a bad dream, then they heard a loud noise, then they just wanted to be there. But then they would pop up into bed between us, and within no time, they would fall asleep. And they would be there between the two of us with our arms around them, 
resting comfortably, resting peacefully, away from all the troubles, away from the dreams, whatever was bothering them, feeling safe, feeling warm, feeling protected. And then as they've grown up, they start to want their distance, they want their space, they, they want their independence, and they get to a point where, and we all do, think we know more, think we have the world figured out. And it's hard as a parent to sit back when you know that your child may not be making the best decisions, but to try to hold your tongue. And I'm not very good at that <laughs> when I see them doing things that I don't think that are going to lead them in the right direction. In today's Gospel, we hear about a man. That's how the Gospel begins. We know nothing about this man other than he has two sons. One son flexes his independence, wants his inheritance, has the gall to ask for it even before his father has left this world. The other one stays faithful, stays at home. It's the prodigal son, and it's a parable that's probably the one that the world knows the best of Christ's parables. And even if you aren't within the church, it seems like people know about the prodigal, the one who has gone astray. And the church puts that parable before us before Lent starts for a particular reason, to get us to be prepared. But my intrigue with this parable, as I reflected on it, is about a man. A man that as the parable unfolds, we start to gain more and more insight into. A man who freely gives his inheritance to his younger son without saying a word. He lets him go and then he waits. And he waits. And he waits even longer. And I can only imagine what's going through his mind as he's thinking about his son. As we think about our children when they go off, and they're out late when they first start to drive and you're wondering if they're safe, what they're up to, are they going to come home soon? And he looks upon the horizon and he doesn't see him. And he continues to look and doesn't see him. And then all of a sudden there he is and he runs to meet him. And he doesn't say a word, as I would have. He doesn't ask him where he was. He doesn't criticize him. He doesn't give him a swat on the behind. He doesn't even say, well, let's have a trial period and let's see if you have really changed. No, what does he do? He gives him everything. He gives him more than that child 
wanted. And then his other son, who comes in, who complains, who's upset because he's been the one who's been there for him. Does the father speak back to him? No, he comforts him. He shows him what it means to love. The parable is about God the Father and his love for each and every one of us. That man cares for all of us, no matter our circumstances, no matter our brokenness, no matter where we are at in life spiritually, no matter how many times we have fallen, no matter how much mud, mud and filth and slop is on us, is within us. His arms are always open to us. His gaze is always upon us. And his forgiveness is infinite. His love has no conditions. And sometimes I think that it's too hard to believe. Sometimes I think that when we go to confession, we doubt, we despair, we are discouraged because I don't know that we really think that that's all true, that our sins are totally forgiven that they're washed away. And what happens? We sit and we kind of wallow in self-pity. We wallow in grief. We wallow in doubt. And we don't free ourselves from that, but we feel more guilty afterwards because we haven't accepted the love and the repentance from God. And what does he ask of us? He asks us to act. He asks us to change our way of life. As it said in the epistle, our temples are the body of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are to seek and to be in communion with God. That's what the Holy Trinity is, it's communion. That's divine love. That's our purpose. Our thoughts are to be directed that way. Our words are to be directed that way. Our entire being is to be directed towards God. And in those times when we stumble, we're to get up. And it's more than saying, I'm sorry. It's more than saying, forgive me. It's changing our behavior. It's changing the, which, the ways in which we act. And that's why this parable is placed at this particular time in our liturgical year. Because as we approach Great and Holy Lent, that intense time of struggle, that intense time of reflection, of fasting, of reprioritizing where our lives are heading. It's time to reflect on this parable 
It's time to reflect on the humility of the publican and get ourselves ready for how we are going to approach Lent. How are we going to change? How are we going to redirect our lives, our focus, so that we can grow in the love that is Christ? Our Father's hands are there. They're out to us. They're open to us. No matter the pain that we feel, no matter the loneliness that we have, no matter the confusion, the guilt, He's there. There's nothing that He can't forgive. All that we have to do is come to Him, and we will feel that warm embrace. We'll feel that embrace that my sons and my daughter felt when they jumped into bed with us. They feel that safety. But we have to change. We have to want to do that. Glory be to God. Amen. Amen.